Welcome to More Than Medicine, where Jesus is more than enough for the ills that plague our culture and our country. Hosted by author and physician, Dr. Robert Jackson, with his wife, Carlotta, and daughter, Hannah Miller. So listen up, because the doctor is in. Welcome to More Than Medicine, where I am not your usual host. I am the wife, Dr. Jackson's wife, Carlotta Jackson, also known as the cook, the secretary, the cleaner, the washer, the mom, the nana, the pianist, the nurse, etc., etc., etc. Yep, it's my privilege to be all of those things for my husband and my family. I want to remind you that this week's show is part two of our daughter's recorded message at a recent conference on biblical justice versus social justice and how we as parents can raise kingdom warriors. Now listen in as Hannah concludes her message. The next thing I want to talk about, the next trait would be social justice warriors are caught up in love and fairness. Kingdom warriors know real love and fairness, true love and fairness, biblical love and fairness. Young people have a twisted view or definition of love, all right, and fairness. So this is what you have to be careful because you we throw those words, those are important things, love, fairness, those are good things. But see, they use it, the culture uses it in a different way than you and I use it, as the Bible would have us use it. And we have to make sure our children can discern when somebody is using it in a secular way versus a biblical way. So the secular world, the term for their definition of love is kind of ever-changing. It depends on the moods and the whims of the culture. Right now in culture, though, uh, I would say that love is synonymous with acceptance, tolerance, celebration of diversity, open-mindedness, desire, and pleasure. I would say that those kind of six things are what encapsulate love to the secular world. Within the church, and this is another thing you have to be careful of, Love is often, is most often, in my opinion, synonymous with nice. If you love somebody, you're nice. Vody Balkum says that the 21st century American church has embraced the 11th commandment, which is thou shalt be nice. I don't mean to step on anybody's toes, but if you look around and observe the American church, there are a lot of Christians out there who are playing footsie with things like ethnocentricity, transgender affirmation, and an unwillingness to call abortion what it is, which is murder all because they don't want to be perceived as being too harsh, unkind, unloving. According to them, as Christians, we must do everything we can to be seen as nice and loving by the world. What they don't realize is that the world will hate us unless we fully turn away from Christianity. Look, in 2015, when the Supreme Court decision legalized, or the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage, I said this, I said, look, I remember saying, this doesn't stop here. Those in the LGBTQ do not just want permission. They want to be celebrated and affirmed, and they want you to bow at the altar of sexual perversion and worship it. It will never be enough for Christians to simply give permission. We must deny our God and worship their God, their sexuality. Christianity and the world are incompatible. That's my point. Christians just need to embrace the reality that no matter how kind and loving and nice we are, belief in Jesus Christ and the word of God are offensive to the world. And as long as we align our lives to the world, 
the world will reject us. Are you are you are you ready to look at your child and say, you know, welcome to being a believer and being a Christian and following the word of God? The world's going to hate you. They're going to reject you. And if you follow it, they're going to call you real bad names. Matthew 10:22 tells us you'll be hated by all because of my name. Jesus also told us in Luke 12, did you think I came to bring, bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. You know why? Because the word of God is divisive. Separates those who are willing to follow it and those who are not willing to. And look, obviously we want to be women of love and integrity. Those are good things. But we must also recognize that when we fully align our lives to scripture or with scripture, men and the world who love darkness rather than the light will despise us. Acceptance by the world does not mean that you are a good and loving Christian. Alignment with God's word is how we know if we are a good, loving Christian. Look, I'll say this. In today's world, you better just resign yourself to being called a bigot, a racist, a sexist, misogynist, a racist. I think I said that. A host of other terrible names that are entirely false. But this should not surprise us in a world that calls what is bitter sweet and sweet bitter and what is good evil and what is evil good. And so we better train our children to know his word and not the way of the world. Otherwise, they will align themselves. They will to what the world says is nice and loving because they want to be seen that way. Majority of kids especially if they've been raised in a Christian home, especially if they've been raised in a Christian home. Because how often do we pound that into them? But do we, do we tell them that there's a difference between the definition for nice and loving that the world has and the definition for nice and loving that the word has? We better, because otherwise they get sucked into that social justice world. Because we've made them vulnerable by not going all of the way in training up our children. Now, what God says is loving is an entire doctoral program. <laughs> we don't have time to get into that. There's been a plethora of books written about that. Um, but here's this, the bottom line. Loving someone means telling them that they are a wretch without hope outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. Greater love has no man than this, that he will lay, lay down his life for his friend. Lay down his life for them to have clothes, for them to have food. What? No. We must lay down our lives as Christ laid down his life that our friend may have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. For example, biblical love is telling a fellow Christian that their primary, most important identity is not their gender identity or their ethnic identity, but their identity in Christ. No matter the social death we may experience. Because in our world today, that gets out on the social media, that gets out, your social status is... Fairness, really quick. The secular world has also done a good job of teaching our kids the idea that everything in life should be fair. And when we use the word fair, they mean positive, equal outcomes for everybody. This is not a biblical definition of fair. And as a matter of fact, this definition eventually leads to a rejection of biblical Christianity. Because if life were actually fair, we would all be going to hell. The only time someone was treated unfairly was when Jesus Christ was nailed to a cruel Roman cross for your and my sins. That was unfair. You and I suffering in life and being condemned to spend eternity in hell, that's fair. That's fair. That's what we deserve. 
So do we really, we don't really want fairness, do we? <laughs> don't, don't bring that to me. <laughs> we want grace and mercy. That's what we want. A biblical definition of fair in the context of what they're talking about would be a laborer is worthy of his wages, a balanced scale. If you don't work, you don't eat. That's what the Bible says. Now, obviously, there's some people who just terrible things happen and they need a little help in life. That Obviously, we're called to charity as, as believers and we extend charity and we help the, the orphan and the widow and we do those things. But fairness, according to scripture, is everyone having the same opportunity, but the outcome is up to how hard they apply themselves. The next thing is fear-driven versus love-driven. Social justice warriors are often driven by fear versus driven by love. What do I mean by that? Well, let me just say, let me put it to you this way. What will my peers think of me if I stand up for this person or, or that cause on social media? Let's, I'll, 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 Donald Trump, Joe Biden, some, I don't know, political figure that's very divisive. What will they think? And that's not really a good example. A better example would be a believer that's been eviscerated. Somebody that's done a good thing. I can't remember that guy's name. Something, Clayton, I think, who had held the sign up at a, behind ESPN and everybody sent him, it's like, you know, here's my Venmo for beer. And everybody sent him uh, money and he, they sent him so much money. It was like $2 million and he donated it to a children's hospital. He did. Then somebody went back on his social media 10 years ago and found some vague thing that he said that was seen as like misogynistic or something. I mean, they, they, and they dragged him through the woods and then everybody dumped him and they just dumped on him and they talked about how terrible of a person he was. Well, if your kid stands up for that guy and says, look, we all make bad decisions, but he did a good thing right here. We can celebrate that good thing. How are they going to, are they going to get social media points? Are they going to get social points or are they going to get dragged? Or what will my peers think if I don't embrace LGBTQ or socialism or single payer healthcare? Motivated by fear of social shaming, social canceling, today's young people flow with the cultural currents on the issues. Look, social media stats are a powerful motivator, and you just got to click that ellipses on the right-hand corner to find your social media stats on any social media platform. And there are dozens and dozens and dozens of them. The fear of falling out of favor on social media is crippling to this generation more so than previous generations because young people young people can't leave their social status at school like they used to they they care instead they carry it in their pocket everywhere they go and on dozens of platforms so we must train up our young people to be motivated by a deep desire for others to know the truth and the one who is the truth false church anglican rector sam ferguson does a lot of ministry with families and individuals dealing with gender dysphoria and transgenderism. And about a year ago, he received a call from a 60-year-old man who had struggled with gender dysphoria all of his life. And he'd been married three times and eventually had surgery so that he could present as a woman. And this man told Ferguson that even though the gospel had been shared with him during his youth, he had only received Christ in the last several years. And Ferguson asked him, when you were in your 20s, what could I have said to you to get you on the right path? You know what that man said? Nothing. He said, you couldn't have said anything. But what I did need was somebody like you telling me what was wrong and what was true. Keep telling people the truth. John 8, 31 through 32 says, So Jesus told the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word and you truly my disciples, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
It is loving to speak the truth that will set the captive free. Next is social justice warriors are technologically savvy or literate. Kingdom warriors have information literacy. Let me explain that a little bit. Now, I don't have a Gallup poll for this. Uh, This is just in all of my research and reading. The most common denominator for young people caught up in the social justice movement is the internet. Primarily online chat groups, social media sites where kids find acceptance and affirmation. And as Edwin Edwin Ramirez, a former social justice warrior, now turned kingdom warrior, said, I was no longer being discipled by my people, my community, in my former church or Christian camp. But he described how he developed friendships with like-minded social justice warriors online who promoted podcasts and books that all worked together to disciple him in the ways of a social justice warrior. Community. Most of us believe that young people as digital natives are more internet savvy than we are because they're more technologically adept. Uh, After all, you know, like I said, they're digital natives. There's a distinct difference, though, between technology literacy and information literacy. And just because I can get up on a horse doesn't mean I can ride it. (laughs) All right. (laughs) In fact, Stanford researchers found that students have trouble judging the credibility of information online. And an expert from Cyber and Homeland Security said in a Forbes article, fake news is an information literacy problem, not a technology problem. Just because they can easily get on the internet and navigate smart devices does not mean that they can intuitively spot scams, avoid bad websites, protect their information, recognize a predator or bully, or discern false information from truth. And look, I have a whole talk on on social uh, on raising digital natives, and I won't get into it now. But but let me just say this: the internet is a tool. In the right hands, it's a good tool. In the wrong hands, it's a bad tool. That sums it up. <laughs> it's, it, it is not necessarily good or bad in and of itself. It's just like a chainsaw in the hands of a three-year-old. Real bad. In the hands of a master carpenter can create beautiful things. But it always has the potential to be used for good or bad in whatever hands it is in. And we need to be very careful about how we use the tool. We must be intentional in training up our young people to be more than just technologically savvy. More importantly, we must teach them to pursue information literacy. And I won't get into all of what that looks like. I have a handout here that's from iVoter Guide, which is a Christian organization. There's actually three handouts, but the first one is from iVoter Guide. And it talks about some of those things. Some of those, you know, um, how to look for information for themselves, trusting sources, that kind of thing. And it's a good resource because, like I said, it comes from a Christian organization. And then the next one is a, a handout based off of Google has something called uh, Be Internet Awesome, but I reformatted it, uh, kind of bounced off of it, add to it, took away from it. it the, the foundation of it was good, but I don't want you to think I've came up with all of this on my own. Um, but it's Think. And this is, I think, a really great tool for how we should equip our kids for using the internet. And um, it's Am I Thoughtful, Honest, Invisible, Notifying, and Kind? And I explain what all those mean and their scripture verses to go with it. Because again, the scripture is what changes hearts, guys. That's why everything comes down to the word, his word, and saturating our speech and our homes with his word. So that's there for y'all. If you'd like one, there's a third page that's just other books and resources on some of this stuff, mostly worldview kind of stuff, if that's your thing. But the next point, and this is the last one, 
Kingdom warriors are eternal focused. Social justice warriors are temporal focused. They have a focus on the things of this earth. And the bottom line for helping our children navigate social issues is training them to have an eternal focus rather than a temporal focus. Our children, once they become believers, are not of this world. They are not. And their struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and evil in the heavenly realms. Ephesians 6, 12. It is integral that they recognize that when the Bible calls us to love our neighbor, yes, it is a call to feed the hungry and to clothe the naked, but more importantly, it's a call to evangelism. That's what it's a call to. This life and its physical needs will pass away, but the souls of our neighbors are eternal. And nothing is more loving than to tell them about the one whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. Meeting physical needs are important, but they aren't the most important need. Whether you are in right standing before God is the most important consideration. So yes, I hear you. It's hard. It's hard to look a person in the eye and say, I love you, but God, he ordained marriages between a man and a woman. I can't come to your wedding and bless this or agree with it because I think it's sin. Would you, would you drive an alcoholic to the bar? <laughs> I mean, this is craziness. The way we're being forced to affirm people's poor choices in life, knowing as believers what it leads to which is damnation, an eternity separated from a heavenly father who is good and loving and kind. It's hard to look somebody in the eye and say, I love you. But God says our identity is in him and not in our ethnicity or gender. Or God says we must work for our wages and that he who doesn't work doesn't eat. No, I don't think that the government owes you a whole bunch of money or anybody owes you anything unless you've worked for it. Charity is good. That's a great thing. The church is called to charity. Don't hear me not say that. That's true. But there's a big difference between the church and the government. And everybody wants a handout from the government. But the loving thing to do, it is the loving thing to do to tell them those things though. Because the truth is what will set them free. We must raise our children and disciple them to know the issues of our day in the light of scripture as kingdom warriors, that they may be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in them. Furthermore, God created us for a purpose. He did. And if you don't train up your child and help your children to understand that God's purpose for them is to glorify him and enjoy him forever, they will find purpose in the things and causes of this world. They will. Because God created us for a purpose. And we all want to have meaning in our lives. Some of those things, career, wealth, Black Lives Matter, transgenderism, LGBTQ, abortion, feminism, sports, your gym stats, physical beauty, and the list goes on. The call to biblical manhood and womanhood is not a call of leisure and comfort. It's a call of dying to self daily. It's a call to speak the truth. It's a call to sacrificial love. All things that are contrary to the causes championed by the world, where it's all about me and what I want. If I want to be Tiffany today and Tony tomorrow, that matters what I want. But your children 
will not be able to discern this contradiction unless you train them up to be so familiar with the plumb line of truth that they cannot be deceived by what I call soft speech. Speech that sounds biblical because it's nice, but actually isn't biblical because it's false. Let me close with this. Dads, if you don't learn this book, cherish this book. If you don't revere God Almighty and love His Son who gave Himself up for you on the cross, the likelihood of your children doing any of those things is less than 30%. I mean, we all know that we should be in the Word every day. I actually can't remember a single day in my entire life where I've not come down the stairs and seen my dad at the table reading the Word of God. My entire life. So I knew what the standard was. So how are you going to take your kids to church this Sunday knowing good and well that they should be reading the Bible every day but you ain't doing it and they know good and well that you ain't doing it? Instead, they're going to get caught up in the passions and purposes of this world. You do not have to be an expert. You simply have to start. You have to stay one day ahead of your children. As Charles Spurgeon said, by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. Start today and stay one day ahead of your kids. And you will be just fine. You'll be just fine. Might be a rough start, but start. You can do it. The Holy Spirit is with you. Look, caring about social issues in the culture war is not a bad thing. It's actually a great thing. It's a good thing that our kids want to be engaged in what's going on in the world. Your job is to train them up so that they are able to discern how to respond biblically to those issues. If we don't, the world and their own sin nature will be their guide. John Flavel recently said, if we neglect to instruct our children in the way of holiness, will the devil neglect to instruct them in the way of wickedness? If you will not teach them to pray, he will teach them to curse, swear, and lie. If the ground remains uncultivated, weeds will spring up. Lastly, Every worldview has three questions. How did I get here? What went wrong? And what do we do now? Those are the three questions every worldview must answer. Modern culture blames the ills of society on pretty much everything else other than the fall of man in the Garden of Eden and our own sin natures. And they attempt to answer the question of how can we fix it with social justice. They believe doing justice or whatever their definition of justice is will save them. That's how they believe that they can earn good points in life. Good points on social media, good points for the big man upstairs or whatever it is. And that's what's going to save the world and fix the world. Is they're doing justice. But remember this and put it in every room of your home. We are born sinners into a sinful world and only the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, can save us. We are in a battle. But again, that battle is not against flesh and blood. If we were to lead an army in a battle, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, if we were to lead an army in a battle, I think all of us in this room would take at least 30 minutes a day to equip ourselves to lead those soldiers with three three things, integrity, courage, and strategy. Strategy. How much more so should we be equipping ourselves to lead our own children into spiritual warfare? If we do not train them up to be kingdom warriors, the culture will train them up to be warriors of the world. Moms, dads, grandparents, God never called you to lead an army in a battle. But he did call you to train up a child in the way he should go. And that 
is as much a service to God as when Gideon led the 300 against the Midianite army. And it brings him as much glory. So take up your sword and equip yourself that you might train up mighty warriors in the good and right way for the kingdom of God. So we learned that the key to raising kingdom warriors is helping them to align their thinking with the plumb line of God's word and praying desperately for them. From the day that we knew our children were even conceived, we prayed that they would give their lives in Christian service and be kingdom warriors in their generation with a deep love for his word and his church. This reminds me that we have a prayer that we call a prayer for children. Robert said a similar prayer over the babies he delivered during the first 20 years of his family practice when they delivered babies. But the words of this prayer have been the cry of our hearts as parents for our own children. And the prayer has been frequently prayed almost daily over our children. If you would like a copy, email us through our website, Jackson Family Ministry. And while you are there, on our website, you may want to have a look at the books Robert has written on the pro-life issue, on evangelism, and turkey hunting, and Bible truths. We recently had a gentleman contact us. He had been Googling turkey hunting devotionals. He found Robert's book just out of the blue, contacted us, and told us it was the best book he's seen out there connecting turkey hunting to scripture. Wives, it's a great book for your husbands, but you may have to read it to them. I quote, the man said, it's more than just a turkey story with a Bible verse tacked on. Robert goes into good Bible lessons in the book. This man will be interviewing Robert for his own podcast sometime soon. You may also want to check out our website and Hannah's website, thehannahmillershow.com, and peruse our list of messages and topics. We just did a weekend family focus conference at which we gave several of our messages. It was quite the delight to have our seven local children and a son-in-law join us on stage as we addressed the topic of the learning curve of parenting and now grandparenting. Then the next day we talked about topics like parenting a prodigal, child discipline, raising kingdom warriors, and more. And then on Sunday, Robert rounded it out with speaking on resolving family conflict, mainly forgiveness. Maybe you have figured out by now, some of us really like to talk, and we'd be delighted to come to your church. Not only do we speak, but we sing. With our daughter Miriam Shell leading the way, Carla and Hannah can join her to provide music for a conference or a service. Check out Miriam's Facebook page at Miriam Shell-Vocalist. Once again, I want to direct you also to our wonderful producer, Bob Sloan. It is our privilege to work with Bob in the production of our radio show, our podcast, More Than Medicine, and Hannah's podcast, The Hannah Miller Show. He makes us sound better and encourages us to keep on keeping on. If you need a producer, we can connect you. He's simply wonderful, and we couldn't do this without him. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this edition of More Than Medicine. For more information about the Jackson Family Ministry, Dr. Jackson's books, or to schedule a speaking engagement, go to their Facebook page, Instagram, or their webpage at jacksonfamilyministry.com. This podcast is produced by Bob Sloan Audio Production at bobsloan.com.